Testament. Um, we are in Genesis 23 tonight. Uh, we do a chapter at a time on uh, Wednesdays, most Wednesdays. We, uh, we work through a chapter together. We finished the New Testament in a little over five years, and now we've started our Old Testament journey. As I've said, like to say, it's a 15-year journey. Uh, we're the first six months or so in at this point in time, and uh, I expect you all to be here when we're done. So uh, hang in there. And then I've said this numerous times. We finish, we'll start over with the New Testament again. See see if I can still go back to my old notes. <laughs> Just think the following 20 years, all the work's done. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so, you know, it's, I, I like working through the Bible this way. Um, together, it sort of gives us some common commonality, I think, when you're studying Scripture in a group like this and you're moving through it. And the importance of context... Very important, you know, that's one of the problems we have is that if we, if we don't take time to really, you know, get ourselves grounded um, in, in Scripture, then we can hear bits and pieces that people put together and they twist it a little bit. We want to be careful that um, we're, we're um, sort of aware of that and understand, you know, where things are happening and why things are happening, what the context is, because it makes a big difference in the way we understand it. Uh, and now, you know, those of you that hear as we work through the New Testament, um, you know, the, the, the Old and the New Testament work together. And so, you know, knowing one and then ultimately both, it's very helpful. And as we can sort of look back now through the lens of the New Testament, it, uh, it really makes a lot of things in the Old Testament sort of pop open to us because there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that are types of things that are going to happen with Jesus in the New Testament. So we, we can see them taking place, and it's fascinating to watch. And remember, Genesis... Um, you know, it's 50 chapters, uh, so it'll take the, the, a year for us to work through it. But, uh, you know, with Genesis, there's, there's sort of, in the first 11 chapters, four main events that you need to be aware of that happen in Genesis, four main events. It's creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. Those are the four main events um, that, that we looked at in the first 11 chapters. And then what we look at in the rest of Genesis basically revolves around four main characters. There's a lot of main characters, but four main characters, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And so that's when you think about... So the reason I keep bringing that up, I think it's important for you as, you as we work through the books together, if you can sort of, through each one of the books of the Bible, have an idea of sort of what the main thing of that book is, then when someone, you're in a discussion about something in the Bible, you have an idea where where you can find it. Because, so I've just, so I've said that every week now. So in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you know, are about four main events. The rest are about four people. And depending which one of the people they are, you can sign to have a clue about where it is so you can go find it. And, and that makes it um, easier to go to things in the Bible. Probably not as important now as it once was because if you really know where something is, you just type it into Google and it goes like that. <laughs> Much faster than looking through it. But... Uh, uh, still something to sort of think about, you know, what's going on and where would I find that verse? So a lot of times when people start talking to me about something, even, you know, if it's a New Testament question, I start thinking about, all right, what's the discussion they're having with me? Who did it involve? Where would that be in the, in the, in the book? And, and then you can sort of usually get pretty close because you go, okay, well, I know this is what's happening to somewhere. It's going to be in this area somewhere and you can go and find it. And then um, hopefully you have some context for it, which is very important. 
So remember, too, the other thing I said that we'll see as we're working through the Old Testament together is you always, be look, always look for the thread of redemption that started in Genesis 3.15 and runs all the way to the cross. And this, this, this crimson thread of redemption is just woven throughout the Old Testament. And you'll see it pop in and out. You'll see the enemy trying to attack the whole plan. You'll see God always watching over and protecting it, always prevailing, of course. But you'll watch what happens. And you'll see sometimes, especially when we get into the kings and the lineage that needs to survive and how close the enemy gets to wiping it out a couple of times, taking all but the very last person in the lineage. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing to watch. Well, anyway, that will unfold for us as we go. We're 23 chapters in now to Genesis. We're in the 23rd chapter. And uh, in this chapter, uh, Sarah is, is going to uh, have sort of um, hit her peak and she's going to pass on. And uh, with, for, for lack of a better way to say that. Um, and, and uh, you know, Sarah, um, there's, there's a lot recorded in the Bible about Sarah, really, considering, you know, we, we know her age and we know, you know, when she died and, and uh, we know a lot of things about Sarah. And we also know that, um, and I said this about Abraham too and Sarah, you know, they're, I, I like the fact that they're listed in the Heroes of Faith chapter, but, but they, they were far from perfect, which gives me hope, because, you know, so am I, far from perfect. And yet, God still can record them through the lens of how everything ends up as being people of faith. So, uh, just some things to remember. Back in Genesis 17, uh, God actually called her a princess. Sarah, that's pretty cool. Um, I think. I, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, she did make the, the list of the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 11. Um, The apostle Peter says that she's a great example for Christian wives to follow in 1 Peter 3. And the apostle Paul uses her to illustrate grace, uh, the grace of God in the life of a believer in Galatians 4. So Sarah's had a big impact, not only in, in her time, but um, also as the uh, New Testament writers began to reflect on what was going on um, you know, the writer of Hebrews included her, and so did the Apostle Peter, and so did the Apostle Paul in their writing. So she had a significant impact on um, the world, uh, and still does to this day. So let's, uh, let's pick that up. I'm going to read out of Genesis. I'm going to read out of the NIV, the New International Version. Uh, that's what will be on the notes and overhead, uh, but you can follow along in your own translation. If you have something different, that's fine. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. It's a pretty good run, right? She died at uh, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. And he said, I'm an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites, and he said to them, If you're willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people. He replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come 
to the gate of his city. No, my Lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron, in their hearing, listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, listen to me, my Lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current uh, among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah, Machpelah, pardon me, near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field were deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah and near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So what's going on uh, in, these, in this chapter? It's fairly interesting, pretty quick, really kind of short chapter and not, not a whole lot. Um, but, uh, but an important chapter. So um, in, in Abraham's day and culture, um, death and burial were, were just steeped in ritual and traditions and, and failing to follow them would have, uh, tremended, uh, would have demonstrated a tremendous uh, lack of respect. And so um, the, the entire burial process was uh, extremely important. Mourning was an essential part of um, this ritual and um, friends and relatives would cry loudly um, before the whole neighborhood to hear. So um, uh, th- there would have been a lot of expressed emotion, what, you know, culturally now many of us would say was over the top. Um, back then it wasn't, it was, it was actually expected. In, in fact, in Jesus' time, um, that was so expected, they would actually hire at that point professional mourners who would come in and really wail up the place just to give it because you it was a to do that was respect and they were they were honoring as they could but there would have been genuine emotion Abraham expressed genuine emotion over the loss of Sarah he mourned he wept um, in the presence of everyone and uh, this morning would be such that that uh, it would uh, everybody would hear it and know that they were experiencing this and that they were honoring um, the, the loss of um, loved ones. And then uh, there, there wasn't funeral homes or undertakers or anything, so the friends and the relatives would help prepare the body for burial. And, uh, and usually this would take place on the very same day. It was a warm climate. These things happened um, quickly. And so all of that would happen in the process. So this is sort of the backdrop for what's going on. Sarah had lived a good life, 127, seen a lot of things, had um, after, you know, at, at, for that long period of life with no children, had finally given birth uh, to Isaac, um, had watched him grow uh, into a, a man, and it was her time. So um, Abraham, um, in verse 4, is, he's in a foreign land, and, um, you know, he hasn't prepared for this. Uh, you know, he's looking for a place to bury his wife. This has to happen pretty quickly. It's not like he can go. Uh, and he might have some idea because he seems to, you know, seem to think that this, this uh, particular cave would, uh, would be the one that uh, would work well. 
and, um, and the people there, you know, knew him uh, as being, you know, someone, uh, you know, a person of integrity at this point. And so, um, you know, they seemed fairly helpful in the process when he approached them. And he said, I need somewhere, I need a, I need a tomb to bury my wife. And uh, they would say, you know, they said, okay, well, certainly someone, all of us would, would be happy to, to sell you a cave, uh, you know, to honor this. Pretty big deal, really, because the pretty significant um, letting go of property uh, in that point in time, especially to, you know, a, a wanderer that wasn't one of them. And I love the, uh, I don't know if you catch what's happening in the exchange between Abraham and Ephron, because it's a big bargaining session uh, and, uh, on Ephron's part. And so um, when, and you've got to catch this. So Abram says, Abraham comes in and says, okay, I'd like to get the cave at the end of the field. And um, what Ephron says to him is this. He says, hey, listen, uh, I'd be happy to give you um, that field um, that the cave is, is sitting in, you know, for this process. Um, what he's just said there is, if you want the cave, you're going to have to buy the whole field. The cave is not an independent parcel. Um, you, need to, you need to buy the whole field. And, it's, and you think, well, it sounds like he's offering it. Well, it's not. That was a, that's how Middle Eastern bargaining started happening. Oh, no, 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 let me, please, I, I, I want you to have it. Um, if Abraham had said, okay, great, I'll take it, the offer would have been rescinded immediately. Uh, and, and it would have been considered a, a sign of disrespect. So um, following the tradition of there, this, is, this begins the negotiation, even in this difficult time for Abraham. Ephron says, okay, the, the, you could, the cave would be for sale, but if you want the cave, you've got to get the whole field. I'm not selling you the cave without you purchasing the field as well. And so... Uh, uh, Abraham says, okay, I'll, he gets it. He says, fine, I'll, I'll buy the field. Tell me, you know, the, the price. And we know that, that what Ephron does next is he asks an outrageous price for what this field, he's bargaining. It's 400, it's way too much. We, we just know that from what things should have cost at that point in time culturally. And um, it's like double what it was worth. And expecting Abraham to counteroffer, which would have been the next thing, and they would have negotiated a price, and Abraham's just not in, into the whole thing. He's, you know, he's trying to be considerate and respectful, but he just wants and he's, he's been, you know, he's got what it takes. He says, okay, in the hearing of everybody, here's what you get. You asked for it. Sarah was certainly worth that. And then some, you take it. And, uh, and so, uh, and I also think it's uh, important because here's the thing. This is the land that's already been promised to Abraham. And, uh, and yet he won't take it. He's going to, at this point, buy it back. Even though this is land that's been... He, he, this is Abraham's, you know, character at this point in time. And so he f- refused just to take it away from Ephon, and he, he, he purchases the cave for a tomb. And in effect, what he's doing is he's making a... It's a statement of faith because he's not trying to get Sarah back to her former home in Ur, but he's, he's burying her in the land that God has promised to them. Uh, and it's... it's uh, it's a picture of his faith in the promised resurrection. He gets it, and he's, he's putting her there in this cave, in this spot. This is the promised land. You promised it to me, God. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to get it. And he, at this point in his life, had been blessed by God to the point where it didn't really matter. Whatever they'd see, he would have just done it. Um, but it's, it's really in, in, in sort of, it's a statement of faith in view of the promised resurrection. And this is a pretty important cave. I'll talk about that in a minute. So, 
um, he, he, it's, just a, it's a statement of faith. And she's going to be in this cave um, in the promised land, um, you know, and that's where he's going to bury her in the process. And uh, when we have worked our way through Genesis to the end, at that point in time, you're going to find that this cave um, is, is quite full. Sarah's there. Abraham's there when he dies. Isaac is there when he dies. Rebecca's there when she dies. Leah's there when she dies. Jacob joins them when he dies. And later on, Joseph, who's gone to Egypt, makes everybody promise him that they will get his bones out of there. He wants them in this cave where everybody else is. In this cave, in the promised land. He said, don't leave my bones in Egypt. Makes it a big point. Actually, I wrote it down. Genesis 50. We'll study it again. Verse 24 and 25. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. Then you must carry my bones up from this place. And so hundreds of years later, they'll take the bones with them and uh, they end up in this cave. And you think, that's pretty intense, wanting to be in this cave. I have a thought. Just a thought. Interesting thought, but you think about it. So this cave is very close to where the crucifixion takes place. Walking distance from, from ultimately what happens with, with Jesus, the crucifixion. Now you remember at the crucifixion, some things go on, cataclysmic things. That, you know, it gets dark when it should be light. Um, there's an earthquake, the whole ground shakes. Uh, the earth shakes, you know, the, the, the temple... Uh, the curtain is torn, the veil is so thick it can't, I mean, it's torn. Um, these things happen. And there's this little event that happens right there in, in Matthew 27, 50, 53. When Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rock split. The tombs broke open. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs. And after Jesus' resurrection, they went to the holy city and appeared to many people. No, I'm just a thought. We don't know who that is. But these guys were really set on being in this tomb when they died. So, I, I don't know. Just a thought. But you think, you watch how much effort they put. I need to make sure I'm over there, guys. <laughs> you, you're going to be here for a little while. God's going to take care of you. But make sure when I'm, uh, you get your bone, when, when you got the chance, get my bones up out of here. I want him there, and the, that's where I want to be. Something to think about. So, uh, it's neat, I think. So, Genesis ends with a full tomb. That's how Genesis ends. But I like this. The Gospels end with an empty tomb. It's a completely different picture. And uh, so, you see a lot of these things happen in there. And, 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 and because Jesus has conquered death, you know, he's taken away its sting. And because of his victory, we don't need to fear. Uh, death or the grave. And so from this side looking back, we have amazing, amazing promises to trust in. Um, but you, you just need to know God's at work in so many things that, that we, we, we don't catch them all. But all this stuff is, is God working and it's fascinating to watch. Um, and that's pretty much what happens in that chapter. So uh, we'll stop there. If you're watching my video, thanks for doing that. Appreciate it. Love to see you here when you get a chance. And that will be Good enough for Genesis chapter 23.